Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. My name is Jesse Martineau. And this episode is a bit different for the podcast because recently I came across an article actually that David Ferment posted and I read the article and it immediately got my attention. The writer wrote things that connected with me in a way that hasn't happened to me in quite some time. So I was super, super impressed. The, uh, actually, the name of the article is Where Do We Fit? Too American to be French Canadian and Too French Canadian to be American. And I am legitimately very excited to talk with the author of that piece, Carolyn Castingway. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am such a big fan of this podcast, and I've been wanting to, you know, I've been listening in, you know, with a bunch of the <laughs> segments. That. and Yeah, of course. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. And um, so, yeah, just super happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, very cool. Now, what is, I'm going to start with your story. Where are you from? So I was born in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, and then just to give like a very brief overview, when I yeah. was around four, I moved to Avon. So that's where I am currently. My grandparents, they all moved to Bristol, Connecticut um, around, I want to say the 1950s, you know, around that. Oh, wow. okay. um, and Bristol has been known as a little Canada, so to speak, within sure. Connecticut. It has one of the yeah. highest French Canadian populations of any town there yeah no so were they were all your grandparents born yeah so to be more specific i guess um my maternal grandmother was born in grand falls canada and okay. then my maternal grandfather was born in van buren maine and on my father's side so my maternal grandfather was born his timeline's a bit messier but i want to say he was born in canada and uh but right near the border as well and then my maternal grandmother was born in Drummond. At the time, what I was told is that the border between Canada and Northern Maine and Van Buren specifically, um, it was extremely fluid, um, which is actually something Sarah Poulin talks about in her TED talk. I, I yeah. watched your, uh, you got posted <laughs> on it. Facebook. Yep. Yeah. And she talks about um, a lot of border fluidity. And, and um, so that was something I could really relate to. My, my, my grandparents would tell me that essentially the river between the two countries would just freeze in the wintertime and you would just cross it. And so sure. they, despite that, you know, despite two of my grandparents being born in the States, I think, because um, I'm really not sure about my, mater my paternal grandfather, I think that they all identified really as Canadian. Gotcha. Um, yeah, because it wasn't that firm as to you know there was a lot of fluidity there basically is my point i think that whole area just as an aside is super super interesting never been to the saint john valley at all but um one of the people who works at the franco american center at the university of maine i talk to all the time she's super super yeah. she's a run she runs the forum for them she's awesome her family's from that area and like you were saying it's completely like they just basically ignore the freaking border which exactly. was not it's like one giant community just happens to be on both sides of the, of the border which was fine until crazy covid world because now right. she's on one side and she has children and her parents on the other and she hasn't seen them in forever because they can't cross the border 
Yeah, I've heard of problems with dual citizens. You know, we're, we're family friends with um, a couple that are dual citizens and they have a residence in Florida. And that's when COVID kicked off, that's where they were kind of located. Sure. That was home base for them for the most part. Yeah. And um, now they're not able to get back and they're stuck here in the States, which is, yeah. I can imagine, extremely stressful. So oh, that's cool. So you grew up in the Bristol area. Now I'm curious because your, uh, your grandparents came down, I guess, towards the tail end of what we normally consider. Yes. Yeah. Much immigration, later. immigration pattern. Um, right. Into, you said the only, to be honest with you, the only French town I think of when I, I don't know Connecticut very well, but I've heard right. Bristol. I knew Bristol was a French town. Yep. Um, what is there now? Are there French organizations? Are there French social groups? What what does the Franco-American scene look like in Bristol right now? If I'm frank, and this is from what I can tell, sure. um, I don't think that there's really any culture there anymore. When Bristol was founded, it was kind of sectioned off into, I want to say, um, the French-Canadian section, a Polish section, and then an Italian section. And I may or may not be forgetting Sure. One other, two others. Yep. Um, but that was really kind of it. And everybody kind of, there was like these little um, mini ecosystems within Bristol and, and they, you know, kind of existed in harmony more or less. And I know that in Bristol now, I think there is like in a, there may be like a, a Polish or an Italian cultural center, a club. Uh, I don't think there's a French Canadian one as far wow. as I know. Interesting. Um, yeah. So just to give a bit more background, I sure. suppose. So I moved to Avon, as I said, when I was four. Growing up, I really didn't know anything about my heritage at all. I was pretty oblivious, I would say. Um, but when I was in fourth grade, there was this really famous school project that a lot of kids ended up really enjoying. And it was a family tree project. And I'd kind of cool. heard rumors about it. And like, I was like, oh, this is actually one project I think like I'd enjoy. So, <laughs> um, you know, the day finally comes, the teacher tells everybody, hey, we're going to do a, a, a family tree project. Uh, so go home and talk to your families and, and, and try to figure out, you know, as much as you can. So that day I marched home with <laughs> mom and dad and I was like, hand on hip. And I was like, all right, what are we? Like, <laughs> what are we awesome. all about? That's fun. And so my mom, I remember the looks she gave me. She's like, we're French Canadian. And I was like, okay, and? And she said, you know, that, that's it. And I was like, what do you mean that's it? That's it? That's everything? Like, we're just French Canadian? That's impossible. Because that day, all the students had been buzzing about it. And sure. they were saying, you know, some of them already had an understanding of their background. Right. You know, and I would hear that, oh, I'm Swedish and I'm Italian and I'm Polish and I'm this and I'm that. And, you know, I think the really cool thing about America is that it is this cultural melting pot in a way. I mean, that you don't find a lot of countries that are, you know, kind of founded on that sure. idea. Um, it's kind of like our social fabric. So I was kind of ex expecting something similar. And I was like, you know, I'd like to like call a lot of places home in a sense, you know, and draw from a lot of different places. So when my mom said that, you know, that's it. You're it. That's, Canadian that's the show. That's it. And, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like crestfallen. And, you know, I, I was, I was so down in the dumps about it. I was just, oh, no way. This can't be real. And growing up, we did have some elements of French Canadian culture. Like my mom every year makes a twitch at, you know, Christmas time. 
Absolutely. Um, and my grandmother has her own recipe. And then my great grandmother has her own recipe. They all have their own flair, their own awesome. thing to it, um, <laughs> their own special take. I mean, maple syrup has always been a big part. You know, <laughs> it, it runs through my veins, you know. There you go. So, um, joking aside, though, like, sure. uh, you, you know, that was kind of the extent of it, aside from um, maybe every once in a while, my grandparents would, would speak French sure. to my parents. Specifically, it'd be, I would say, my, my maternal grandmother to my mother. Gotcha. Because my mother understands French, but mm -hmm. she can't speak it. At least she really, she deeply struggles in speaking it. Whereas my maternal grandmother has no problem. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, my maternal grandfather has passed, but yeah. he did speak French very sure. well. And then on my father's side, unfortunately, my paternal grandmother now has dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah. Um, although what's been really interesting about that, just to go down a rabbit hole for a quick minute, is that um, French was her very first language. And sure. as the dementia began to advance, she started forgetting more and more of her English and she started speaking French more. Part of the reason why I wanted to learn French was because I know my parents would not be able to communicate with her. And should something happen oh, wow. to her husband, I yes. would kind of be the only one. So I needed to learn quickly and um, I really needed to have some mastery of the language so that way we could still maybe try to decipher what she's trying to say or what she needs. Um, so that was very important to me. That was- no, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot of like personal responsibility to like learn the language so as to, you know, help her. That aside, um, my paternal grandfather does still speak French, but they always kept it as a very secret language between, um, you know, between them. So my father doesn't understand any of it, you know, and he's he, tried. He didn't grow up with it in the house at all? They didn't speak it in Well, the they would speak to each other, but he would not be able to understand one word of it. His, gotcha. his and his grandparents didn't speak any English at all. So when he would go visit up north in Canada, um, sure. they would basically play charades with each other, yeah. um, which yeah. is kind of tragic, actually, if you think about it. Um, you, I can't imagine what that would feel like and the sense of loss. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, I didn't have that with a grandparent, but uh, I went back, like, it was like my first real time going up, like, as an adult. I had gone done the 18-year-old act like an idiot in Montreal thing, but I went up older when I was older with my dad and my uncle and we ran into some relatives they hadn't seen like seriously like 40 years and they didn't speak any English at all wow. so it was just, it was kind of like me standing there awkwardly as he's mm -hmm. having a conversation but I can't even I, imagine if that's a grandparent that's got to be tough yeah you know I've thought about that a lot and I thought about it a lot when I was writing my paper as well and um you know, if I had to say there's any silver lining about my situation, it's that I understand there's a lot of anti-French speaking sentiment in Canada, um, just depending on where you are. And I feel like being an English speaker, I'm in a wonderful position to champion the, the learning of French and practicing French. And I've experienced firsthand, and my parents as well, that sense of loss. Yeah. And we can really speak to that, I think. And so many French Canadians can in general. Being a native English speaker, I'm just better equipped to kind of um, support 
the learning of French and, and advocating for that, you know, because I do think that is so valuable. So we should probably talk about the article. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> Before I get to the article itself, actually, I'm curious, uh, what's your reaction to the fact that it has absolutely blown up? The idea, as you're putting this together, that, you know, every Franco-American in New England is going to read this thing. I had no idea. <laughs> so I, funny thing about this. So I was in my senior year of college um, at Mount Holyoke. Um, and I was in this class called The American Essay. And it's very straightforward. It just was a class about essays <laughs> and America. That there was you it. Go. That was the whole essence of it. <laughs> um, but very early on, we got our first assignment. And that was prior, prior to, the, to actually getting the assignment. We were studying different themes in American essays. So one of the big themes that a lot of people tend to pick up on is um, calling to your ancestors for guidance or help or trying to connect with them. So that was something that really struck a chord with me. Sure. And around that time, I had picked up David Vermette's book and I had been reading it. And it was really a powerful book. And it was served as this catalyst to, um, for me to, to voice my own story. I think sure. that kind of gave yeah. me some courage, a little bit of chutzpah. So when the assignment came around, I, I knew, like, I felt like it's time, you know, and I felt ready and I felt like, I just want to like talk about my own story. And my original essay was actually a bit different to the one you re read on Bangor um, Daily News. My original uh, essay was, had a very different title. That was the title <laughs> they had given it. Gotcha. Um, mine was a bit more obscure, but I felt my background, my choice of reasoning w w was interesting. Um, <laughs> so I had originally labeled it a, um, a solitary birch, which sounds a bit obscure, a bit sure. odd. I get that. And what does a birch tree have to do with, uh, with being French Canadian? So in the, at the end of my essay, and I don't know if any of your listeners have read it, but at the end, I'm talking about- I would about, imagine quite a few have, yeah. Right, I'm basically talking about how I'm walking through the forest and it's winter. So there's a lot of, you know, woodland imagery. And so, and I actually, where I live, it's surrounded by forest. And I was looking outside, I was writing my essay and thinking about my, my backyard at home. It's this whole forest of oak and maple and pine, but there's just one birth, birch tree in the back. <laughs> That's cool. One lone birch tree. And I kind of thought about that. And I felt I had so much in common with that stupid tree. With the birch. I felt like the sole French speaker in this vast world, you know, there's this New England community that, you know, I was the only one that spoke French. And it's a very, it felt very isolating. But also, I thought about how a birch tree has, um, two tones, you know, it has the white and then it has like streaks of, you know, brown and gray and, you know, it's, it's two things. It's not just, you know, one solid color. And I thought about how that was a lot like me. It was emblematic of me and how I'm not just American. I'm not just French Canadian. I am a combination of the two. And then I also later found out <laughs> conveniently awesome. that the birch tree is the provincial tree of Quebec. And so I felt, wow, like That's... this was a sheer coincidence. Like it's the <laughs> perfect title. This is great. So I just thought that was like a little 
interesting tidbit. Yeah, so my original essay was a bit longer, had some variation, but overall, I'm very proud of my work. Although, when I had written it, <laughs> um, I'm very self-critical by nature. And, uh, you know, I felt, after writing it, I felt for once kind of satisfied with something I'd done. I felt That's like awesome. this is like a warm, fuzzy kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I felt good. And, you know, my dad, as I've gotten older, has gotten more and more into genealogy. And so I felt, you know, maybe he would appreciate this. And I sent it to him. That essay would have never been published if it were not for my father. He went behind my back and he mailed it to um, the Bangor Metro magazine. Originally, he tried to get it just into the newspaper, the local newspaper, but they read it and they liked it so much they wanted it in the magazine. That's so awesome. I was totally honored. And Good job, Dad. Yeah, right? Exactly. So he's my number one fan. And I <laughs> no, that's very cool. It's our all of our benefit that he did. That's very awesome. I like the thing about the birch, by the way. Just Thank you. Yeah. Also, New Hampshire. New Hampshire State. Right. Well, birch, there you go. I had no idea it was Quebec. No, that's yeah. It. All right, so your article, your essay, uh, begins with the words, quotes, last year when I studied abroad in France. So I got to hear the story. What is this trip about? Who was it with? Where'd you stay? How'd it come about? Why'd you do it? Of course, yeah. Sure. So um, I do want to go back in time just a little bit. Sure. So when I first started learning French, I was in middle school. And at the time, I just want to preface this by saying that I figured in middle school, hey, I'm taking French. I'm finally going to be able to understand my family. I can actually like listen into these secret conversations, these secret, secret worlds, and, and I'll kind of have a better sense of like what's going on. And I had no idea that there were different accents and, and basically dialects, I'm tempted to say. Um, I had no idea. Sure. So fast forward, you know, um, I do the same in high school. I, I, I'm still learning French. I have a different teacher nearly every single year. So my accent now is completely, it's totally bizarre. It's a mix. So it is very mixed. And I, <laughs> I sound Eastern European. Um, Interesting. Problem areas with my R's and my OU sound, which is typical of Americans. But Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So I entered college and I actually wanted to go into animation um, because I've always just been really creative. I also, it was a life dream of mine to study abroad. Sure. I had always wanted to do that. And I also, um, I did travel to Paris for a, like about two weeks when I was in high school um, on a trip there. And so I'd been, I'd gotten a little exposure to France and, and I really loved it. I went to the, the uh, pardon me, the Loire Valley and mm -hmm. um, Paris and, and it's lovely, you know, it's, it's, it was great. Sure. So, um, you know, I wanted to study abroad because I felt like I would love to go back. I'd love to practice my French more. And also I do mention this in my essay a bit that my family really upheld France to this really incredible but unrealistic standard and we really idolized it. Um, so I kind of viewed it as a homecoming. So after my first year, I was at UConn, actually. I started off at UConn mm -hmm. in stores. I, after my first year, that following summer, I went to Grenoble, um, which, if you're not familiar with that, it's like in the um, southeast. And it's a very mountainous region. It's, you know, it has Belle Vercourt, and then um, 
Chartreuse as it's like three main mountains. It's very, it's known as like a skiing village and it's kind sure. of, it's a little luxurious. <laughs> so uh, I went there for, it was not a long time. It was about a month and I, I loved my host mom and my host family and I'm still in touch with them and it was a wonderful experience. And then I came back, I decided to leave Yukon. I went to Mount Holyoke and I decided to change my major to French because that experience I felt was so positive and so moving. That's awesome. Um, and I got a firsthand experience of how really immersing yourself can open so many doors. And I felt this is what I need to do. This sure. is like really calling to me. And then my junior year, I did a full semester. And I did a full semester in a place called Montpellier, which is also very far south. Um, and that was a very different experience to Grenoble. And that was the experience I kind of talked about in my paper, where um, I can picture this now, and I had just arrived. I have all my luggage in the back of sure. my car, and my host mom is driving me back to our apartment. And, you know, I said, oh, I've, I've been here before, and I, I love it here, and I really, I wanted to study, I, I wanted to study here for an extended period, more than just a month, more than just two weeks, sure. because I want to see, hey, do I want to live here? Because I really felt like that strongly, and, and you know, I, I really felt in a way French. And she looked at me and she said, I don't think that's a good idea. And I said, oh, you, well, why is that? Yeah, right. And because I, I was a bit taken aback. And, I would think uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and she said, she, heavily implied you know it's time has passed so i can't give an exact quote sure, but sure, sure. the implication was you are not french you are french canadian that's where you belong and that um it doesn't make sense for you to come to france because you're geographically closer to you know french canada and you are um if anything you have more ties there than than here in france and it was a real blow. Sure. And I have to admit, when I was in France, I felt a little bitter and I felt a bit slighted. Now, looking back and being a little more mature and, you know, having done my homework, right? <laughs> I, I understand yeah. why she reacted the way she did. I do. And it was because, you know, our ancestors left right before there was a massive amount of change back in France. I mean, with the, we, weren't, we weren't around for the revolution. We weren't around, you know, for either of the, the great wars, you know, the world wars. And, sure. um, you know, there's a lot of history that we have missed back in France that my, our ancestors have missed. And so they've continued to kind of go on their own path. Of course. While we have taken a diverging one. Um, and so, yeah, logically, I probably do have more in common with, with my relatives up in, you know, Quebec and Montreal and than, than I would in France. But that was kind of an epiphany for me. And I sure. felt like I really, at that point, turned to my heritage culture for some comfort. Also, <laughs> because I felt a little bitter at the time, <laughs> I did use a lot of like Quebecois words whenever I got the chance. I got you. Sure. All tiny little, you know, <laughs> um, but also like more importantly, it was the practice, you know, my Quebecois French, my, my, uh, right. 
you know, I wanted to incorporate that. That was important to me. So that was my, the, an overview of my experience. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Something you wrote that sure. I thought definitely got my attention, um, which is the, even now I wonder what is a French Canadian? And obviously there's something that jumped out at me for sure. Because uh, it might be the, the question that underlies what this entire project I'm doing is about. It might underlie what the heck I've been dedicating my life to for the last two years. So uh, I'm just kind of worried. Of, I'm not worried, but I'm curious um, how you came to that question. And is your thoughts on that question different now than it was you know, even before you wrote this, this article, this, this essay? You know, the, the thing about being French Canadian growing up is that there's not a lot of portrayals of French Canadians in American culture, right? And we see a lot of Italians, a lot of Irish, um, sure. which is wonderful and great. But I didn't see a lot of like representation of, of myself or my family. And I kind of began asking, are we just a group of people that happen to speak French and we live on this continent? You know, and that didn't feel like a very pleasant thought. Or sure. Satisfying yeah, it's got to be more than it that, right? It didn't feel very comprehensive either. It kind of felt a bit dismissive. So I really thought about it. Like, I gave it a lot of thought. And, um, yeah, I think I, while I was reading David's piece, you know, um, A Distinct Alien Race, it kind of clicked. And especially when I was writing, because everything just happened to flow out of me. It, it really was very natural, um, which isn't something that happens to me a lot in my writing process. And I, for me, it was that we are very resilient. We are, I kind of write my essay, we are a very stocky breed. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that I look to my mother and my father and they are the hardest working people I've ever met in my entire life. And, you know, we were labeled as, David explains how a lot of French Canadians um, were only valued for their labor and for their uh, tenacity and sure. their ability to work, you know. And I think there's even a quote um, that he pulled from way back when, and someone was essentially saying that, um, like, a French Canadian employee doesn't care if you berate them or treat them poorly. They just, you know, they will keep working for you. They're like the prime employee. So, but I don't feel like our value is in being good employees. I think that our value is in being resourceful. I mean, this is a Northern Canada with those kinds of winters. That is some very um, treacherous terrain. <laughs> yeah, that is sure. brutal. The fact that, you know, the English were um, very determined to make French Canadians assimilate. And, you know, the fact that the KKK did harass French Canadians, I think that the fact that we are all still around is a testament to our strength. Um, and so to me, in my opinion, being a French Canadian is to be a very resilient individual to be a French speaker. I don't know, I think maybe to be adventurous a bit. <laughs> that's, that's my own opinion. My dad's a pilot, you know, he's a bit that's of a wanderer in that sense. Pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and I've always had that kind of itch to go out and travel. And um, 
I think about the Coureur de Bois and they were pretty, um, yeah, I'd say a pretty adventurous bunch. Um, dudes, for sure. a lot, yeah, exactly. Like re- very free spirited. That's what it means to me, I would say. And that's what I tried to express through my paper, although I'm not confident how much that came across. <laughs> no, no, your paper's, that, that's my own personal take. Um, yeah. So that's what I would say, I think. Yeah, no, I think you allude to what I think is probably a phony baloney narrative. That you, I mean, we hear in Manchester, obviously, it made its way down to Bristol that, you know, Franco-Americans, really good workers. Uh, they don't, yeah. uh, just, they're never going to give you any trouble, but you definitely don't want to put them in a position of management because they can't handle that. Right, exactly. They're the, they're the ones who just, you know, punch the time clock and go home. That, that's the French Canadians. So. The whole idea of why do you think then if, the French was, because this is another question that I tackle all the time. Um, why do you think that if, you know, your grandparents all speak in French, mm-hmm. uh, why don't they raise your folks? Oh, that's definitely a case of assimilation. My own grandmother, you know, faced in Canada, she went to a bilingual school, my maternal grandmother. She went to a bilingual school in Canada. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, she told me about a story where, she was in a class where, um, and I think the nun was, I think she was English speaking. She asked a, an English boy a question and the English boy was supposed to answer back in French, but the English boy just couldn't think of the French words. <laughs> My grandmother said the answer under her breath and the nun kind of turned to her and said, what was that? And my grandmother being the brave and feisty young woman <laughs> she was said it again. Nice. And um, she was physically punished for that. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet the sister um, wasn't very pleased with that. No. And so, so even in the progressive school, they kind of incorporated um, pretty harsh punishment. Um, and then my mother, my own mother, you know, she had took a, a, a hard-covered dictionary to the, to the face, essentially, from an English-speaking nun, as I wrote about in my paper, because um, French, you know, wasn't allowed and then my own aunt when she her first language was french and then she completely lost it because it was so looked down upon um my uncle his last name is gallopo and he had to actually change it so that way his family would not be uh discriminated against so it's been anglicized um which yeah in my opinion is is tragic and very wrong um so many levels, um, but assimilation is a very real and very violent thing. Um, I, I think it is, I think probably to your average American, they may say, oh, assimilation is a good thing because then sure. we're kind of homogenous and we can get along and we have the same values, the same ideas, but that's not how it really works. And to say on the one hand that, oh, we are this cultural melting pot, and then to say, but you can't speak this foreign language because I don't know what you're saying. Um, those are two very conflicting ideologies there. And it's, you know, um, a bit of a paradox. What always happens with assimilation is there is always a deep sense of something lost and irrecoverable. And big part about my essay that I really wanted to convey, and the thing, the reason why I think it resonated with so many people is that we all want to feel special and we all want to belong and we all want to 
feel like there is somewhere out there just for us that will always listen, that will always care, and that will always understand. But, you know, the French Canadian community is also very, um, I mean, on a global scale, it's quite small. Way back when, when the KKK was really up there and, and causing a ruckus, so to speak, you know, that wasn't how they were perceived as this unique cultural community. They were, as David writes, perceived as a bit of a threat. Um, sure. So, yeah, in my, that's, that's my own take on assimilation. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is because in Manchester here anyway, um, my parents actually went to a school, bilingual school, half English, half French, right in Manchester. Uh, they both spoke French in the house growing up, um, but never taught me and my sis, um, which yeah, obviously pretty disappointing in retrospect, but uh, and we never had the KKK, at least to my knowledge here in Manchester. Right. But um, even, even one of something I was aware of growing up was that uh, being French Canadian was almost synonymous with being low class. Oh yes, like definitely. The, you were like the kids of the millwork. You, yep. they, that's who mm -hmm. you were. You're not, you're not something special. You're fearful yeah. Canadian. So I, I cannot help but think that's a big reason why, in general, my generation here in Manchester does not have the language anymore, which is crazy. Yeah. And one thing you point to, which I thought was awesome, is when I talk about this, uh, I use the word frustrated a lot. I feel very frustrated with a lot of the things. You used angry, which I thought was very yeah. cool. You said you were angry. So what are you talking about? What makes you angry? Why are you angry? How did that get into your, your essay? Because I had this image when, as I was writing, and I, again, I alluded to this at the end, where there's a cabin full of like lumberjacks or filled with my forebearers and they're all waiting for me and I walk in. I don't have to say a word and there's just this immediate understanding between us. Um, and as I write at the end, you know, and I don't want to get emotional, but I can't let the fantasy go beyond that because I know that if I were to try to talk to them, I wouldn't be able to, or at least not in the way I want to. And that, that link to the past is um, potentially severed, you know, and it will always, for the rest of my entire life, be a fight to reclaim that and to rebuild that bridge. Um, and when my parents, my grandparents are gone, there's nothing left. I mean, I won't be able to replicate. I won't be able to sit down with my grandmother and ask her to practice with me, you know? Um, I won't be able to, um, I won't be able to repair that, that link. And that, that makes me extremely sad, but it makes me livid because I just feel I feel frankly very furious that 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 wasn't um, nurtured, like that that language, that our, our, our speaking in our language, it wasn't sheltered and protected and nurtured and allowed to grow and flourish. It was forcibly stomped out. The, the big part of my essay, I said, you know, um, I want them to hear my case and I want them to hear me and my story. And if it is too late for me, because this is written in English. Um, mm -hmm. And in my original essay, it's not included in um, the story, but I had written, um, perhaps I'm a dark omen of what could be. 
And what I meant by that is I had been talking to some French Canadians up in Quebec and they expressed how when they see people like me in the States, French Canadian, but they can't speak French, they are frankly afraid and nervous because Absolutely. that is a very real it's a very real possibility that their own children and grandchildren will not be able to speak French. Um, and so looking at me and just hearing me, I am a reminder of the potential loss that they may experience, which is very painful. Um, and obviously I don't take that to heart, but uh, no, no. it is tragic in a way. There are quite a few um, who look, uh, it's basically like a warning. Yeah. Like, if they don't fight as hard as possible, you're gonna this turn, will be you. This is gonna, you're going to turn into what these Franco-American guys are. That's exactly. But I do, in some respects, think that they uh, underestimate the fact that we're, a lot of us are still here. Like, Very true, yeah. We may not have the language, and I think, uh, but the fight continues. Uh, I think, and at least in, in some respects, I feel like talking, I got equally through this podcast. I got a bunch of friends now in Quebec. Um, uh, but one thing that at least has been passed on to me is that I think both the Franco Americans and the Quebecois think that the war uh, is over, uh, but I think they're both wrong. I think the Americans think that the battle to hold on to French in Quebec is over and that the French won and that they're safe. And I think the Quebecois would suggest otherwise. And I think the Quebecois would think that the battle in the States is over and it's lost and it's gone. Right. And there's basically no, we're all just Americans now. And there's no yeah. difference between us and anybody else. And I don't think that's correct either. So it is pretty crazy. It is absolutely nuts. Um, and right. maybe I wanted to ask, because um, obviously I have a, we get a blog and where we ask a ton of what I consider incredibly smart people. Uh, people who could dedicate their lives, their professional lives, especially in a lot of them, to absolutely anything. Like professors, writers, whatever. And they right. choose to dedicate it to this, to the freaking conversation we're having right now. So why, 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 what is it about, I mean, obviously I ask myself all the time, it's a huge part of my life. Um, what is it about this, this conversation, this topic that really draw, that is so impactful that you need to really make it a major part of your life? The way I got into it was because I wanted to learn French. And to me, learning just another language is one, practical, two, opens a lot of doors. Um, but three, it's a way to feel like you're home away from home in a way. I don't know how to explain that really, um, because French was not my first language. It's a way, it's a, it's a very comforting feeling. And uh, to me, it, I'd say my fire and my drive and my interest in it comes from wanting to be connected to my family and to wanting to feel a sense of community and then preserving that and i think that french being such a prominent part of our culture and our community is you know um just so essential from frank i don't really have a great answer for that but yeah. i think it's just yeah we all want to feel special and we all want to belong and um it's all something we share in common. You know, we come from really different places and um, our stories kind of overlap. Each one is pretty distinct, but it is comforting. And I think that like, it's, that, that's, that's what I take away from it. <laughs> no, I don't know. This is what, this is what 
a great, great, great conversation. Very, very glad you take the time to chat with us. I got to tell you, um, being completely real, I mean, a lot of the, most of the comments we get here on the podcast, um, social media and stuff, well, most of them, I'm not going to complain because most of them are very positive. But we do, time to time, Mike and I, uh, we do get uh, those negative comments, basically, that uh, we're phony baloney. Mm-hmm. We know we don't, we're not actually, we can't be calling ourselves French anything because we didn't grow up speaking the language. And, but when I come across your story and you're expressing how you feel angry or frustrated and that you decided to friggin' step up and do something about it, I thought was absolutely awesome, beyond motivating. I thought it was tremendous. Where can people, if you haven't seen it yet, we'll post it, but where can people find this article if they want? Um, yeah, so it's online right now at uh, Bangor Daily News. Um, and I will, I've been talking to um, Nisa Nishud. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about. The one yeah. who lives in, whose family is in St. Johnsbury, yeah. Alley in Maine. She's the one. Yes. Yeah. And, Nisa's um, freaking awesome. Yeah, so... So she was going to also try to publish my piece. Um, Yes, yes, that's it. And um, I think she might actually publish the original and full thing, although I would maybe like to tweak it a little bit. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it should be the original edition is what she'll have. That is so awesome. So now everybody needs to pick up the forum if you haven't before. Also because our blog series is featured in the forum, which makes it awesome. But Thank you again for writing this article. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really, really hope you stay engaged because you're going to be a huge asset to us in the American community. It's really, really awesome to have your voice. So we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.